Okay, guys, we're gonna start. Okay, so first of all, uh, we'd like to welcome Nadav's dad to share. Okay, we, 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 we. <coughs> like it when parents come. B, we're going to see if this causes a, a break in the streak of Nadav meeting his girlfriend for lunch every day. Okay, so, okay. So be, be very interesting. Okay. Uh, um, secondly, I see that a new group has developed. Like beyond the Hawaiian shirts, Shirkla group, there's now the Zalman Hapel group. Okay, so, uh, I have to admit, I'm kind of partial to the wine shirt group, but maybe it's because I haven't had a salmon hot dog yet. So we'll see. See till after I go there, we'll, we'll reserve judgment. Why it's better than the other one? Yeah. Oh, okay. All right. In any case, the uh, I, I, I like today's topic for the following reasons. It has a lot of good elements. We're going to discuss different customs about where to fill in on Kohamoi. And one of the reasons I like it is, you know, I'm a person who likes to have rationales for things. It's always frustrating to me to just say, oh, X has a minute to do it, and Y has a minute not to do it. I'm always curious, okay, but why would one have a minute to do it or not to do it? What really is the halakhic or ashkafic issue at stake? So we're going to try to understand what it's all about, why someone would want to wear, why someone would not want to wear. It's also interesting, because we're going to write the topic, because this is an example of where Kabbalistic ideas might have influenced Psak. There's always a question, uh, do we keep them as two separate realms? Right, there's the world of halakha, and the world of philosophy and mysticism, and each one has its realm, but they shouldn't overlap at all. Or do we sometimes see overlap with my mystical ideas or my philosophical ideas could influence on how I posket? So we're not gonna, just to give you a little head start, we'll get there in about 20 minutes. For whatever reason, the Zohar is very against wearing tefillin and kolomoy. So we'll see that groups that are more influenced by the Zohar, actually, we'll just toss it out there right now. If, we, if I ask you which groups in Amish do you think would have more Zohar influence? Than others, who would you pick? Okay, Hasidim for sure. And Svardim, correct. Okay, Svardim and Hasidim would be more influenced than Ashkenazim. And therefore, you'll see if you look at uh, your family meeting back home, if you're Svardi or Hasidic stock, it's very likely your minute because you do not wear tefillin on Falhamoid. If you're of just standard Ashkenazic stock, it's not for sure, but then it's more likely that you do wear tefillin on Falhamoid. Just one thing so no one's confused. You might have been a little confused this year, because in Israel, the universal minog is not to. Did someone warn you this beforehand? Like, if you bring your tefillin to shul on Cholomite in Israel, they you get dirty looks. So they kick you out of shul. They're very adamant about minog heritage Israel. But in Chutzlars, you could be in the same shul, and half the shul's wearing tefillin, and half the shul is not wearing tefillin. Okay, everybody good with the introduction? Okay, great. So let's get started. Now, if I'm asking whether you should or should not wear tefillin on Cholomite, the starting point would obviously be, well, Cholomoid seems to be an extension of other holy days you don't wear on, namely Shabbos and Yom Tov. There, there's no debate. So let's start out by figuring out why you don't wear Tzolan on Shabbos and Yom Tov, and then we'll figure out, should we apply that to Cholomoid? So let's look at the first source in Aaron. Rabbi Kiva Omer, Yachol Yaniach Adam Tzolan B'Shabbatov Yom Tovim. Maybe you think you would wear Tzolan on Shabbos. Tamal Omer, V'yal Al Yodecha. Tefillin is described in the Torah as an oat. It's some kind of symbol or sign. Uh, how is Shabbos described in the Torah, guys? And we even say it in Kiddush? Oh, so Shabbat itself is an oat. 
So there seems to be an idea that you don't need double oat toast. Days that don't have oat quality, we, we need tefillin. So that's why the average Tuesday you have tefillin. Days that already have their own oat quality, you don't need tefillin. So Shabbos and Yom Tov have this oat quality, and therefore they don't need tefillin. Okay, but now things get excited, guys. Now we start to get to good analysis. So if that's true, guys, what do you think should happen when we go to Cholam What's the, what's the million-dollar question here? Exactly. What makes Yom Tov an Oat? And based on that question, does Cholam qualify? Okay, so let's just toss out some possibilities. And if you ready to see how analytically this could be quite interesting. What is the essence of Yom Tov? What makes Yom Tov an Oat? So guys, give me some possibilities, and we'll see if Cholam should qualify. Alicia. Excellent. So what if you start with Isra Malacha? Maybe Alicia is the most logical position. Oh, extra credit if you wear the hat too. Okay, there you go. Okay, that, you know why David Hammer's wearing the hat? Because of all the guys here, he's the only one who actually worked behind the counter as always. Okay. The rest of the guys just eat hot dogs. He actually works there. Okay, so... Uh, okay, it's not, it's not true. Don't take that seriously. Okay, so uh, Alicia said, so maybe Isra Malacha is the definition. Now here is where things get... Life gets... In, see, life is just interesting and complicated, guys. If I say Isra Malacha is the criteria, should Cholamoid make the grade or not? Yes. Maybe. Ah, so Alicia's right. It's not so simple. Now most of us don't experience it so much, but there actually is an Isra Malacha on Cholamoid. Why don't we experience it so much? Because there's certain built-in hetero. And those built-in hetero often kind of downplay the Isra Malacha for us. For again, we know some of the two of the most famous ones? Yeah, Josh Shapiro? <laughs> Okay, good. That's true. What else? Laundry. Uh, Laundry. No, but give me the category. There's one category called Dover Ha'aved. What's Dover Ha'aved? You, meaning, you wouldn't do Malach on Shabbos even if it means losing money. Okay, I'll close my store at 7 of the week. But apparently you don't have to lose money for the purpose of Cholomoy. That's why most of your parents go to work on Cholomoy, right? Dover Ha'aved is not a problem. So there is Nisra Malacha, but with a huge leniency called... Davar Another usually is called Tzarech HaMoed. What if you need to do for the purpose of, right, the Moed itself, right? You need, you need, let's say you wouldn't normally build a house on Cholmoed. What if you need to build it because otherwise people have nowhere to sleep on Yontif itself, right? That would also be Mutter, right? So now, so okay, guys, we've got criteria one on the board, Isra Malacha, and we have a little bit of a doubt how that would play out in Cholmoed, which has kind of a, a partial Isra Malacha. Moshe, the yeshiva skydiver, what do you say? Uh, well, uh, well, first of all, actually, I, I double trenches also now, you're a yeshiva skydiver. Okay. 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 By the way, uh, I, I will do uh, one now and one a little bit later, guys. There's two new uh, questions about the four distractions of yeshiva guy. All right. Okay, one question is as follows. As you guys know, one of the famous distractions is having a girlfriend. But I realized a week ago that I have a new question. What if you don't have a girlfriend, but you spend endless time talking to every girl in Harova? Like, does, does, that, does that still count? So the nafkamina is David Trencher. Okay. Okay. All right, here we go, guys. Okay. What's your question, Moshe? Go ahead. Uh, 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 I was going to suggest another criteria for the, uh, for, uh, for the Yeah, let's hear it. Okay, good. So, obviously, Isra might not be the only thing that makes Yom Tov an Oat. So, what else could make Yom Tov an Oat? Uh, the Korban Oh, that's very good. Very clever. So, maybe what makes, what gives Yom Tov its character is that you bring a cover in Musaf. 
Excellent. Now let's think for a second, guys. If that's the criteria, where would Chol Hamoe fit in? Does it have a Musaf or not a Musaf? It does. It does. Excellent. So you, I think it's very interesting here because lurking here might be like, where do you really find the essence of Yom Tov? So we had Isra Malach as a possibility. We had Karban Musaf as a possibility. Okay, yeah, I did. Okay, so that's, that was a very clever question. We'll get there. You guys, you guys are doing a great job today. So Adin is suggesting, but wait, maybe Cholamoid, maybe part of our now should be how parallel it is to Rosh Chodesh. I just want to emphasize his point. Okay, we're going to go totally out of order. Just I really like when you guys anticipate all the Mepharshim. So Evan, go to source 8 for one second. There's a toast in Chagiga, and we'll see Adin's point on the last line. Everyone sees this Ode to Okay, I just want to give you a brief reference here, guys, because it's very interesting. You might have been aware of Megillah, which almost says you could rank the holy days in our tradition based on how many people get called up to the Torah. You ever notice there's like this whole scale? So if you ever think about it for a second and stop, you realize we're kind of ranking the days, right? When do you call up three? A regular Monday, Thursday, that doesn't have so much status. When does three jump to four? Rosh Chodesh and Cholamoid. Notice they're the same category. Rosh Chodesh, Cholamoid, three jumps to four. When did you call up five? Yom Tov. Excellent. When did you call up six? Yom Kippur. And seven. So it's very interesting tomorrow, right? In theory, we're ranking the days based on how many people get called up. But notice what perhaps is most intriguing, which is really another Shir Kholi, right? According to that ranking, Shabbos beats Yom Kippur. Now, here's where things get really interesting, guys. If you actually looked up the Gemara Megillah, you'll discover there's another day of Rabbi Yishmael. What does Rabbi Yishmael think? Six on Shabbos and seven on Yom Kippur. So it is kind of fascinating if you ever ask yourself, is there some kind of ranking system of holy days in Judaism? And what would happen in the clash between Shabbos and Yom Kippur? Realize that there's a machlokas in Megillah, which one gets six and which gets seven. One second, guys. But for our purposes, though, I think Fox's point is very good. What got ranked together? Cholamoid and Rosh Chodesh. They're both in the four category. So look at the last line, guys. We're going to come back to this later in Shireo, but I think the point is made right there. Now wait, if Cholamoid is analyzed, maybe it should be viewed as akin to Rosh Chodesh. And if it's akin to Rosh Chodesh, perhaps you'll come to the conclusion that you should put on Tzillin, in fact. Okay, so several we've got Musaf and Ismailach. Anyone else want to toss out a suggestion? Zach Magarin. Maybe it's just the items that we actually... Ah, what about the Mitzvah Hayom? So, for example, why would we not wear tefillin on Pesach, arguably? Any day that? Well, oh, very good. Why is it better? Oh, guys, it's too good to share because there's too many good tangents to do. Okay, why is Chametz perhaps a better way to go than Matzah? Ah, because matzah, arguably, there is only a mitzvah to eat it on the first night, right? Arguably, there's only a mitzvah on the first night. The rest of Pesach, you want to have matzah, have matzah, but you want to just eat at no meat and potatoes, that also works, right? Whereas chametz is a good way to go because, obviously, the chametz prohibition is all of Pesach. So what if I say, oh, the Isser chametz is where Pesach's really at? That's what makes it an oat, and therefore kolomoy would be an oat. What might I have to say on Sukkot? Obviously, the mitzvah meeting is okay. Right, so I could say there also that that's what makes it an oat. So notice already how things have gotten complex here. We've had three totally different positions about what makes an oat, which we would then try to compare to, try to see where cholamoid fits in. Okay, Avishai. 
you say like Oh, that is really interesting. Except for one thing, I'm not saying you're you, you're inherently wrong. If that would be true, Rosh Hashanah and Yom Kippur might be left out of the mix. You might have this wild theory that I should be putting on tefillin on Yom Kippur, right? I'm sorry. Okay, have Rosh Hashanah. By the way, I think it also it might just be leather shoes. I think you can wear your leather jacket on your kipper. I mean, it might look a little funny in show, but... Uh... Okay, so let's go to some sources inside, and we'll see how these possibilities play out. Okay, so let's start with uh, the Rashba. Okay, Rashba, of course, a famous Sephardi Rishon. Shoot, of course, is Shalot Vichibot. So he says... The Tzvillin... Oh, let me make one more point, guys. Sorry, a little historical point for all the Kabbalists in the room. Okay, when was the Zohar publicized? Which century? Even later, 1200s. Okay, so that means that halachic discussion prior to the publication of the Zohar would obviously happen without the Zohar lurking there. Okay, which means that this whole question about should I wear Tzvillin and Kolom was very much part of halachic discourse before anybody was citing the Zohar. So now things get even more complicated. Wait, we had this discussion that's already on the table. Now the Zohar comes into play. What impact should it have on a discussion that's already out there? Okay, so let's look a look. What does the Rashba say? You ask me, what about Tzilin and Kolomoid? I say, don't put on Tzilin. Because they're also an oat. What makes them an oat? So he goes with the Lisha Shmala approach. Says the Rashba, why shouldn't you wear Tzvillin and Cholmoid? Because what made Yom Tevnot? What makes Yom Tevnot? Esim Malacha. And guess what? He defines Cholmoid as having a Esim Malacha. But notice what just happened. Here we have someone thinking you should put in Cholmoid, not at all based on Kabbalistic reasons. This is purely within... The standard halachic universe, right? Oh, on days of oh, you don't wear tefillin. Guess what? Based on my criteria, cholamoid is not is a day of oat, and therefore you shouldn't put on tefillin. Okay, great. But now he throws in one more thing. Okay, guys, really, I'm, I'm sorry. Now I have to give this year every year because there's too many good tangents here. It's just great. Okay, maybe each year I'll do different tangents. Okay, and look at what he throws in now. Umalacha do right What else does he throw in? The ismalach of cholamoid is. So if I throw that line in, obviously what's lurking? Someone thinks, maybe, right guys, we could all agree, you only say something like that if there was another possibility, right? He wouldn't say, Isra Malach on Shabbos is the right thing. That's just a given, right? So already, what's lurking here? Ah, Isra Malach is ancient criteria, but that will only work if it's the right thing. Now, one last thing, guys, I'll take more comments. Can anyone tell me, why someone would suspect that the Isra Malacha on Cholamoid is the Rabbanan? What, based on something we've said in Shir thus far. Okay, can I tell you why it might be the Rabbanan? Okay, Josh Shapiro. Ah, very good. Josh Shapiro is excellent. Guys, isn't it true that when you have a lot of leniencies, you start to suspect that it's the Rabbanan? Doesn't it tend to go together? Right? You know, if you have someone that has barely any leniencies, okay, the right are tough. But let's say you say we're Mako for A, we're Mako for B, we're Mako for C. At some point, you start to suspect maybe the original prohibition wasn't so harsh to begin with. 
So Josh is right. So it sounds like somebody out there was thinking, wait, if we're lenient for Dover Ave, we're lenient for Tzarech Moed, maybe I should just conclude that Isra Malacha is the Rabbanon. So, so far we have the Rosh for saying, no, Isra Malacha is the Raita, it's the reason it's an oat, and therefore even on Chol HaMoed, no to Alicia. I haven't learned all the Chumash, but where in the Chumash does it say anything about Chol HaMoed, Malach Bin Ah, okay, we'll get there, we're going to get there in a minute. Okay. So let's keep reading, actually. Okay. Now, I admit it, most of us have not gotten to Chagiga Daf Yudchet. But if we did, apparently, what is it? Ah, Josh, you did all Chagiga? You're almost there. Okay. See, I should have waited a week to get your card until you got there. Okay. Adin. I have a suggestion, okay? No, stick to do things. Making good comments on cheer and killing wild boar. Okay, stick to your specialties. Josh, I'm sorry No, it's okay. By the way, I've been, I've been telling everybody back home that uh, there, I have two guys in Yeshiva this year that have both killed a wild boar. No, nobody believes me. Okay. What? Jonah Hoffman, no? Yes. Jonah Hoffman also. Huh? Is Jonah here? Yeah, Jonah's here. Jonah's here. Okay, great. Ah, okay. What happens in Chagigidat Yudchet? There's certain drashot where we derive from Sukkim that there's an Isra Malach and Cholomoy. Now, granted, Elisha, it's not explicit, but don't forget, things derived from drashot also get the status of Doraita. So if those are, that's a serious drasha, we should then say that Cholomoy is, in fact, an Isra Doraita. Okay, good so far? Okay, terrific. Let's now go to the Miri. The Miri is going to make Moshe Epstein very happy. Okay, let's see what the Miri says. Rabbi Yehuda, this is source 6. Rabbi Yehuda allows in the Gemara writing a mezuzah on Cholamoid. Now, why would you be allowed to write a mezuzah on Cholamoid? Or, or Tefillin? So that's very clever. What's the claim? Well, even if the Gemara is not explicit about this, obviously you could wear Tefillin on Cholamoid. Because what do we say? Really, you shouldn't do Mlach on Cholamoid. What is one classic heter? Sarach Moed. So what would be the best Sarach Moed? This fellow is filling our puzzle. He needs a new pair of tefillin. So if you're allowed to write tefillin on Cholom that would show that you put on tefillin on Cholom Oed. Uh, Shai, you want to knock out the proof? You say it again? If you are so fair and you need to get someone's hair done, Ah, very good. So Shai cleverly was saying maybe the het here is not Sarach Moed, but Dabra Avi. Excellent, excellent. So maybe you could knock out the proof. In any case, if we skip down to the third line of Meiri, he says, and this is going to make Moshe Epstein very happy, Maybe the whole oat was not about Malachah to begin with. Maybe carbon Musaf is really the paradigmatic act that gives Yom Tov its oat quality, in which case, Cholomoe would have oat quality. So again, we have the Yisra Malachah analysis, and we have... The Kavan Musaf analysis. Let me just show you three and four. Ah, sorry. Last line of Eerie, guys. Just, there's a practical psak. 
So he says, V'chein shamanu akzat rabbeinu tsarfat. What do those French rabbis do? Who are the French rabbis in the Middle Ages? Tosvot. Min ha-muvakam shvachonim shenoagam lahanicham below bracha. What do they do? This is one of the classic halacha compromises. We're not sure if we should do it or not. Well, put them on, but don't make a bracha. And this is why, one reason this is important, guys, is it reveals something about Birkat HaMitzvot. When you make a bracha, yeah. oh, thanks so much. Thank you much, Avner. Avner, what uh, anarchist literature are you reading this week? <laughs> okay. Okay, so, uh, <laughs> look, I just realized something. You shouldn't be able to look up an anarchist literature in the library because it should be like everywhere in the library. <laughs> right? You see what I'm saying? Yeah. Okay. 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 Like, I mean, it would be exactly like you go to the library and where's your anarchist section? We don't have an anarchist section. Okay. Okay, so uh, you should say like nobody has an anarchist section. Okay, so uh, in any case, the. Ah, guys, a birkat ha mitzvah. Is that crucial to the mitzvah or not? Let's say I forgot to make a bracha. My yotzi the mitzvah. Yes. yes. That's why this is a very easy move, guys. If the bracha would be crucial, this would be a lousy solution. But that's why this is often the solution because you don't really need bracha for mitzvah. Bracha is a nice introduction, but you yotzi anyway. That's why it's often true to say, oh, we'll deal with the suffix by performing the act but not making the bracha. Okay, yes, Josh Milstein. Um, so just going back to the Meiri and Mm-hmm. Can you can, can you be denied from the fact that he says Matir Lachlat Smol? Ah, Yafeh, Yafeh, very good. Shai Merkli, I think he might he might have you there. Latzmo does not sound so much like it's part of his business deal. It sounds like he's writing it for himself, right? Very, very, very good, very good thing, Josh. If you're Chris, I'm not going to do it right now. The Meiri has a different way of knocking on the proof. If you read the whole piece, okay, not Shai's way, but he has a different way to, to knock on the proof. Yes, Nitai. What's the problem with? Why, why are we so has problems having more? Oh, that's a good question. I'm, I'm in Dr. Fair. I'll, I'll get to it if we have time. Okay? Yeah. Well, one of the reasons is if the Ode is Musaf, we have a problem with Rosh Hashanah. Like, that could be one of the reasons why we want the Ode to be Musaf. Okay. No, but he's asking why, going back to the very premise of the whole shir, why can't you have two Ode? So you have Tulan and Shabbat. What's the big deal? You have Ode and Ode. By the way, I will point out, Nitai, the Gemara might not be saying it's usher to put on Tulan and Shabbat. It might be saying that there's no mitzvah to do so. Well, uh, we'll get to another time like, how Tulan became Moksha. Okay? Yes? Would everybody agree you don't impress Mila, you should be impressed with Oh, that's clever. You want to why Mila? See, now you're back in your, uh, your home court. Things are good. That's the interesting question. Why you don't have... I'm leaving for a side, but that, why does Brit not create the same thing? No, I'm just saying, like, it could be it's easier to explain, oh, I just need some oat, I don't need two. But it wouldn't be problematic necessarily to have two oat oat. Where if you say it's us, sir, you have to take a stronger claim that there's something problematic about it. Okay? Just to give you an example, Nitai, look at the Orach HaShulchan, this third, third line. I'm not sure we get to it. You see where he says, Shabbat Tochel Tefillin? And again, this is not the only way to go at all. Look what he says, though. The gnai hu l'shabat shitzterech l'ot acher. What does he seem to think? What's gnai hu l'shabat? Guys, someone help out here. The good word, gnai is degrading. Right? The claim would somehow be, it's almost like you think shabat can't handle it by itself. Shabat needs help. You want to create this oat quality, this oat dynamic. 
But if you put on tefillin, you're saying, oh, Shabbat, you can't hack it. You need to melt. Now, again, I, it's hard to explain, but this would seem to indicate that it's actually problematic, right, based on that formulation. If you already got an oat, you're just kind of detracting the oat, and you need to bring something else into play. Ah, very good. So now, see, we'll, we'll do that too, guys. You've got me every, every angle in here. Okay, there's one thing that we didn't ask yet, which is, if for whatever reason we view the two otod as contradictory, it's not obvious why Shabbos should win. Right, so Nitai is saying, Nitai's a very talented fellow. By the way, if you guys want to go on a teol, he's your man. He's a, a walking compass. Okay. Okay, fine. So he's not a walking compass. Okay. What? But he's got great enthusiasm for the outdoors. So the enthusiasm will win you over. Okay. What? Okay, so back to your toe. See, guys, it's the only sheep we have to remind the rabbi to get back to the door. Okay, so uh, here we're trying to figure out which oat should win. So I want to make a suggestion why Shabbos beats meal. We didn't discuss that point yet. Like, if we assume that some of these two oat clash, why does Shabbos win? Zach? Exactly. You mean like Shabbos versus Yom Kippur? Okay, but I, you probably want to spell, you're right, and spell a little bit more how we know Shabbos is on the highest level. Uh, yeah, Donnie Deutsch. Um, because if you violate Shabbos, it's Karis. Okay, excellent. So it's a very interesting question, guys, how you rank mitzvah. Not so easy to rank. But you might say the, the best clue we have might be punishments. And we mean this point? That might be the best clue. Like if one prohibition is a death penalty crime and the other prohibition is like nothing or like a minor fine, I think it's pretty reasonable to say our tradition takes the death penalty crime as more severe than the other. So that's the interesting question. So guys, take a look at two things. Look at the Archa Shulchan again. Dani Deitch, very good. Okay, see the second line of Archa Shulchan? Tidche Shabbat Shechayven Alem Mita Ubeitin What's the claim? How did our tradition know that Shabbat is more important? Shabbat's a death penalty crime, and what, what, ah, this is a good trick question. What punishment do you get for not putting on tefillin? Nothing. Nothing. Right, and generally you don't get punishments for lack of fulfillment of the mitzvah So based just on the punishment scale, Shabbat would outrank Brimila. Just to throw in one other thing, Nitai, go back to the Mechilta in Source 2. Okay, uh, this is good to know, guys. If you know this, you really make my day. Who knows? Okay, Joshua, you are not eligible for this question. Okay, who knows what the Mechilta is? Ooh, Adin Fox. Uh, the Midrash on Shabbat. Great. What kind of Midrash, though? Uh, tonight. Well, Midrash Agadar, Midrash Halakha. Uh, yes. Okay, very good. <laughs> I guess by default, that was pretty good. Okay. Now, since uh, we, lo- we love Adin, and he's one of the stars of the yeshiva, so I, I, feel, I feel, feel complimented in the next claim. Okay, I said before that there are two new questions about the four distractions. Okay, so one question was my, you know, girlfriend question. Okay, and the other question is there might be a fifth distraction, apparently. Apparently, some people are very distracted by volleyball anime. Okay, now, I didn't know there was... I, I, see, there you go. I did not even know there was such a, I did not know there was such a thing as volleyball anime. Let alone, let alone one could be distracted by it. But apparently there is. Apparently the Japanese really like volleyball. Okay? Wait, just curious. A show of hands. Who before I just said it had heard of volleyball anime? Okay. Okay, there you go. There you go. 
did. I'll explain very briefly, even though I, I've never watched a moment of anime in my life. Okay. Oh, really? Okay. Avner, do you know what anime is? Of course. Okay. Wait, then why is it so complicated? So apparently many anime shows are set in the context of a volleyball team. Where did you get that from? I went to Amish country after I went to Hershey Park. Are you serious? Yeah. If that's true, that, that's like a great trivia question. Like what sport did the Amish and Japanese share in common? That is a great trivia question. Okay, wow. Well, that's just the Amish and Okay, we'll have to check that out. Okay. <laughs> okay, but in any case, apparently, apparently, even some of our finest Yeshiva guys are distracted by Japanese anime. But uh, but we're not going to put that on the list, though. It's still not. It doesn't make. It still doesn't make the point. Okay, Alicia. Uh, with your whole ranking thing of Shamus based on the punishments, what in Shamus is the sign? Is it Kiddush? Because you don't get Misa for not saying Kiddush. So it depends on... Okay, that's interesting. But Esther Malach, which certainly, your approach before, which certainly work well. Okay, one other thing, guys. Look at the... Oh, so uh, Din Fox is absolutely right. Mechilta is a Medrash on Shemot. Remember, guys, when we use the word Midrash, we tend to think of Midrash Agada, Right? Midrash but Avram and his father's idol shot. Remember, there's a whole other series of works called Midrash Halakha. They're also expanding on the Pesukim, but they're trying to work out the Halachot. And guys, remember this? This is always my trick question. The Mechilta is the one on Shemot. The Sifra is the one on Bayikra. The Sifri is the one on Bamibra and Varim. And the one on Bresha is called? Uh, does not exist. Right? Why is there no Medrash Halacha on Breshit? Okay, I always make the same by joke. I'll make it again. Right? Because there are no Halachot on Breshit. If you had a Medrash Halacha on Breshit, it would be like the volume Jewish Sports Heroes. Okay, that, that, that's why we do not have Medrash Halacha on, on Breshi. Okay. Yeah, yes, yeah, that, that is correct. And it's mostly This is all happening. Okay. This is all happening. Yes, yes. Okay, fine. In any case, look at the Mechilta, guys. Mechilta deals with Nitai's question. Second line of Mechilta. Amarta tidche shabbat chikriya od ubrit litzfilin she'enin kuin el od bovats. This is also quite fascinating. The Mechilta's got another way to go. What was our first approach to why Shabbat beats out Milah? We know Shabbat is more weighty based on the punishment. What's the second claim? Forget punishments. Look at what terminology is used in the Pesukim. What does the Torah call Shabbat? Not just an oath, it also calls it Briti B'ni B'nichem. Apparently if you look at Tefillin, Tefillin is very nice mitzvah, but it's never referred to as a Brit. So the claim would be, oh, Shabbat's got more components. There's more going on in Shabbat more values being spread than in Tefillin. Therefore, Shabbat beats Tefillin. So again, it's interesting to tie because usually when people give this year, and myself in the past also, the focus is all on what makes Yom Tov an oath. But you're right, the fundamental question before that is, why does Shabbat and Yom Tov oath beat out Tefillin? And then we have some explanation. Nadav. Couldn't you say that Shabbat beats out anything that's not in the Ten Commandments? You might be right, just you have like some source for that rule. <laughs> Okay, look, I'll say this, Nadav. It's true that in Judaism, Shabbat is way up there. Okay? But again, even thing, but uh, it's like I once, uh, I'm trying to think uh, if this is exactly true. Yeah, let's try this. Maybe we'll come to the conclusion that as valuable as in the halakhism, there's nothing that always wins. 
right? You pick something you think it always wins, we'll show you, no, even the most important, it shows you how complex life is, because life is all about balancing values. Let's try this. Let's say someone says, Shabbos always wins, it's so powerful. What's the obvious counterpoint? That's not true, because Pikuach Nefesh overrides Shabbat. And Brit Milo overrides Shabbat for the night. That's a very good example. So now I say, okay, so now I've figured out what the most important value in Judaism is. Saving a life, be always wins. What's the problem with that, of course? It's not true, because there are three cases we're supposed to be a martyr. So life's pretty complicated, right? Maybe there's nothing in Allah that always wins, because we're, there's a lot of important values that you have to balance. Okay, well, we'll discuss it some other time. Yeah. No, lolam doesn't just mean every second. Right? It doesn't mean that Shabbat is an ode on Monday afternoon. Okay? We're all good so far? Everybody good? Yeah, Josh. Uh, doesn't he... I don't remember if he poskins, but it does sound like he's with a, sympathetic with the Tosos, right? Do it without a bracha. Well, don't get... Prov- okay, a little Jewish geography for a second. There are basically three centers of Torah in the Middle Ages. We're used to the idea that there's Sephardim and Ashkenazim, right? So there's the rabbis of Spain and the rabbis of France and, Ger- France and Germany. However... Okay, if you ever travel in France, you'll see there's a part of southern France called Provence. And Provence, even though it's part of France today, it was separate culturally from the France of the Middle Ages. And a lot of famous rabbis lived in Provence. Does anyone know, if you know this guy, it's really be amazing. And you know somebody besides the Meiri who lived in Provence? Ooh. Rashi did not live in Provence. in regular France. Anybody besides... Sparno lived in Italy. Ooh, we need a Jewish historian. Who's the Jewish historian? No, I meant which child guy loves Jewish history? No, who loves Jewish history here? What? I'll give you a hint, fine. Uh, there is someone who was a famous critic. There's a famous critic who lived in Provence. Yes, the Ravid, very good. Remember, when you open the Mishnah Torah, the Ravid is often criticizing Rambam. Okay, the Ravid lived in Provence also. Okay, so just realize that you think about like different cultural centers in the Middle Ages. I'll give you a great example, guys. This we have discussed in the past. Okay, this again shows you how much Jewish history changes over time. Today we'd say Ashkenazim do philosophy, Sephardim don't do philosophy. If you lived in the 1200s, what would you say? Quite the opposite. Quite the opposite. Sephardim do philosophy, Ashkenazim do not. It's true. Rashi and Tosu were great men. They were really not interested in what Aristotle had to say. There is no Tosus and Shas that references Aristotle. Okay? They just were not interested. Okay? The Rambam, of course, was quite interested. But now you should realize, wait, where does Provence play into the mix? It's a third entity culturally. So you'd have to ask, what was the Prov- Provençal racket like? Were they more like Rambam and his buddies? Or were they more like the Tosu? So just realize Provence is a third entity. Okay? Great. Okay, now for those who like... Mystical things. Ready to get a little mystical? Yeah. Okay. Actually, before you get mystical, one last thing. Look at Tosvot. What does Tosvot say in the second line of Source 5? De'ika ot pesach de'asr ba'chilar chametz u'besukah de'chaya besukah. One of you suggested before. I don't remember who it was. Okay, very good. So what do we have now, guys? So far, guys, three definitions of what an ode is on Yom Tov. Definition one, carbon musaf. If so, cholamoid's in the game, Right? Definition two, some of the mitzvahs hayom. Let's say for sake of argument, chametz and sukkah. If so, once again, chomoy's in the game. Wait, wait, definition three, iser malacha. If so, 
a little debatable, right? Because notice the Yisumalach and Chomet wasn't so powerful. It has all these Heterim. And when the Rashba said it's the right, uh, that even was a clue that some people seem to think. It's the Rabbanat. So if we go with Yisumalach, we have a bit of a question mark where Cholomoed should be categorized. Now let's go to the fourth thing. We'll see who heard all kinds of legends as a kid. We're going to discover what kind of elementary school education you got. Go to the Urzerua Source 7. Okay, now those, what I said till so far was really the three major theories. The three theories that make the most sense. Look at the Urzerua in 7. Shehein Gufonot, Shenahar Sambation. Having to do what happens to the Sambation River. Umaleb is Churo, Mochichin, Shenachin Bahem. To be Noach, it rests. Who here has ever heard a Agathic legend about the Sambation River? Uh, we'll see now who gets... Well, Avner Kronish, would you hear that? Uh, okay, what, what come hard to do? I don't remember which one, but I don't know which one. Okay. Joshua Levas, where do you know this from? Um, I would remember... Actually, my Hebrew teacher in 11th or 10th grade. Okay, Judah Berman, how about you? Okay, so what's that here, guys? The, yes, Aaron Levitt. Okay, excellent. There is an idea that the ten tribes still exist, and we can't access them because there's this raging river called the Sambatyon that is in the way. But what's the claim? That on Shabbos and Yom Tov, it rests. The Sambatyon River rests. This is a agadic idea. What? Okay. Oh, Ari Tardarga. I bet in Chabad and Melbourne they discuss this a lot. Okay. You know, Ari, we're going to make you in charge of your call. Every time like a wacky Jewish legend comes up, you're in charge. Okay. You're, you're going to be our go to guy. Okay. So, in any case, so this idea, now, in my mind, this is not a historical statement, or a Jewish statement, it's a symbolic statement about the tranquility of Shabbos. What happens on Shabbos? This stormy, raging river comes to rest. What if I take it very seriously? So now skip to the last two lines. How could I decide if Cholomoid's an oat or not? Al yedei nahar sambatyon umalet b'schuro im nachim be. To me, this is just remarkable. Okay, what's the claim now, guys? What makes it an oat? It's a bonus. So now, what will I have to do to paskin the Cholamoid question? Send an explorer to the Sambatyon River. If it's raging during Cholamoid, you shouldn't put it on so. If it's resting during Cholamoid, you don't have to. So I have to admit, guys, I put this on mostly for entertainment value. I think this is kind of a maverick position. I think the other three seem much more reasonable to me. It's a function of Isra Malacha or the mitzvahs or Karman Musa. It's a little bit hard for me to believe that it's a function of whether the Sambatya River is raging or calm. Yeah, Simcha. Yeah, couldn't you argue that maybe like, he is in a centric way arguing this far as Isra Malacha because That's all. they're kind of cut from the same block. Ah. Oh, fascinating. And you're saying when I went there and checked out if it was calm, that would actually reveal what the ripe sock is regarding... That's very fascinating. Very interesting. Yeah. 
Right, 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 right. You want to say the same thing? He's answering okay. your issue with halacha. You said halacha is ambiguous. He was like, this is how you... Oh, that's very interesting. That, that is quite interesting. Yeah, Eric. Or couldn't you argue that it must be that the Sambadium is raging on Polonoid based on the legend of the ten tribes? Because otherwise, why would you be able to come back on Polonoid? Because it would, I would assume it would fit into one of the heteros. Okay. <laughs> right, that's great. Okay, Aaron Levin, we now have your mission life. You have to find some chuba at some point in Jewish history, as someone said, right? Is it a violation of Cholamoe to cross the Sambatyu and to rescue the ten tribes? Okay, wow. Or we should put it in your book of chuba. Okay, yeah. What? Oh, Rabbi Yitzchak from Vienna. Rishon from Vienna. Rabbi Yitzchak from Vienna. Uh, was he a misnagid? There was no such thing as being a misnagid in like the 1100s. Okay, or you can ask me if he was like a rationalist or a mystic, but you can't ask me if he was a misnagid. Yeah. Maybe to get the whole truth, maybe the reason we're doing, we're not doing malacha on Yantif and Shabbos is because the river resting. Okay, uh, let's see, you want to make it's the opposite of the Elisha Simcha. The opposite of the Elisha Simcha. Okay, very interesting. All right, guys, turn the page, please. Let us go now to, once we're ready, kind of a little bit of a mystical vein here, let us go to the super mystical vein. Okay, because again, in, in, even though we have the Simbayim legends, I think that Elisha and Simcha are right. In a sense, it's still in the world of regular halachic discourse. In what sense? We're still asking, is Cholomoed an oath? That's still the question, right? Is Cholomoed an oath? If it's an oath, it doesn't need to fill in. If it's not an oath, it should have filled in. We're still in the world of halachic discourse. Okay, now let's go to the Zohar. Okay, here we go, guys. Source 9. Okay, and we're going to see something very interesting, I think we'll have time for it, about what impact the Zohar should have on our halachic thought. Here's Yomtov. The Inun Tfilin Duresha. Yomtov is somehow associated with which Tfilin? The head Tfilin. The Inun Tfilin the Kuchabrihum Anuchlon. Ah, and who puts them on? Hashem. Now, there is, to be fair, there is a Gemara in Bracho about Hashem putting on Tfilin, but it seems to be a bigger theme here in, in the Kabbalah. Okay, so again, what's Yomtov associated with? Tfilin Sharosh, but who's Tfilin Sharosh? Hashem still Rosh. Okay? While that Ikwin Tovim begin to inun Nahiman Bresh the Kuchila, Vukhalar Tayamim Tovim inun Tvon Dresh Kushbikumaron. Fine. What about Cholo Shomoid on the third line? The low Ikri Yomtov, it's not a Yomtov. Eilin Tfilin Didroa. Now that took me a long time to get. Can anyone tell me what that word is? Well, just by proselytization, what do you think Tfilin Didroa are? Oh, that was very good. Jazz that was really excellent. It's the Tfilin of the hand. Now, beyond proselytization, guys, there's a great Aramaic rule. Remember that shin sounds in Hebrew tend to become tough sounds in Aramaic? So shalosh becomes tlat, right? And how do you say snow in Aramaic? Talga, right? Because shelig becomes talga. So in, there's another rule which is much less well known. Zions in Hebrew tend to become dalads in Aramaic. So how do you say gold in Aramaic? Gold is dahava. Right, Zahab becomes Dahab. Okay, so notice what you have here. So now it makes sense. Tfilin de Droa is really Tfilin de? Dizroa, right? The Tfilin of the arm. So I don't know what this is. You have to ask a Kabbalist, go ask Rabbi Aaron or Abdavidal. But basically, what happens in the Zohar? Yom Tov is associated with God's Tfilin Shal Rosh, and Cholamoid is associated with God's Tfilin Shal Yai. Okay, but what is the upshot of this? Two lines from the end. For this reason, it's 
If those are the days of God's tefillin, then they're not the days for human tefillin. Okay, so again, I'm not a Kabbalist. I'm not going to try to explain this. But let's just say, if one's in the Kabbalistic universe, somehow it is bad to be putting on tefillin on Cholomoy. That is explicit in the Zohar. Okay, well, good so far? Uh, Josh Hall, you're getting excited now that we quoted the Zohar. Okay, it's an interesting question, but uh, you go ask your local cowboys. Okay. Soon. What? Uh, then ask yourself. Okay. All right, here we go, guys. So last thing. So have, now here, remember, guys, there was the debate here. Was the, was the question generated by the existence of the Zohar? Not at all. Remember, till this point in Shear, we've had a whole halachic debate without any connection to mystical ideas, right? You could already debate. How do you define old halachically? And does halachically meet the criteria? See, we, we've had a wonderful debate till now. But now what should happen? We've had this one debate, all of a sudden, the Zohar gets introduced to the conversation. So let's look at two reactions. I think you guys find this very fascinating. Okay, one is by the Radvaz. The Radvaz lived in Egypt in the 14 and 1500s. And one of the things I love, guys, if you're a really good rabbinic writer, there's a good reason why you have to learn Tanakh, even if you're a rabbinic writer. Okay, you notice that all your phrases somehow are like are alluding to Pesukim. Everything when rabbis able to write. I love it. I wish I was able to write like that. Okay, well, some of this, everything's like another biblical illusion lurking there. Okay, so look what he does here. Guys, here's your job. No one go to lunch till you get the two biblical illusions. Okay, here we go, Radvaz. What did I see? Anybody? Very good. Very good. Here. Okay, Elio says, why are they like straddling the fence? Okay, pick a side. So he's using it. How is he using it in this context? Everyone is straddling the fence. They can't figure out what to do about Tfilin on Cholmoy. People are struggling. Okay, next. Uh, now look at the third line. This is even more interesting. Some are nervous. Why are they nervous? Because what they read in Kabbalistic books, isn't that true that Kabbalistic warnings get people really nervous? So here it is, right? The Rabbah saying people are afraid to put them on. Uh, uh, that is biblical reference number two. I think it's from Taylor, right? Yeah. And we don't know what to do? Okay. So now let's go to the last line. The Ravaz is feeling very conflicted here in Egypt. What does he say? The kibin she plukta divrei hakabala yachrichu v'atal taniach. Ah, just fascinating. Kibin she plukta. Since already there is a debate. Divrei hakabala yachrichu. The words of Kabbalah can... Decide the issue. So what emerges here according to Radvaz? If Kabbalistic sources would conflict with our entire halacha tradition, apparently what would the Psaq be? Follow halacha tradition. But if we're ready to the machloket, why shouldn't Kabbalah come in and guide the machloket? So he really thinks in this case we should let Kabbalah decide. Notice we already had this raging debate before Kabbalah entered the fray. Should we wear Tzvon Chalmaid or should we not? Since Kabbalah is so adamantly opposed... So, he poskins that we should not. One second, someone. Okay. However, the marshal is, gives, marshal, now notice the Red Vaz is Sephardic and the marshal is Ashkenazic. It's not an accident here. Comes to the marshal and says, I don't like the idea of bringing Kabbalah all together. Look at the fifth line of marshal. 
He says, because again, traditionally, Shem is associated with the authorship of the Zohar. Let's say Rashbi would come back to life and stand before us. And what is he commanding us to do? Change the custom. We would not we would not pay any attention to him. Kibarov dvarav ein halacha kamoto. So notice what Marshal is saying. Even if I view the Zohar as Vashit Vashim Barachai, why should it win? Right? Very often in Shas, Vashim Barachai loses. So I don't think it should really have much impact on the Lachlan system, right? If we, till now, we have been, or Ashkenazim have been wearing Tulin, they should not stop simply because the Zohar is against it. Now, I, might, I admit you might think that's not so different from the Radvaz, but I think you read the passages carefully. It seems to me the Radvaz is much more open to Kabbalah playing a role than the Marshal. The Radvaz is saying, when we have a standoff, indeed, Kabbalah decides. And the Marshal is very much playing down the ability of Kabbalah to influence Halakha. So I just think as I want to raise this as a larger question for us to think about over the year. I think it's quite interesting how we should think about our Jewish thought, our Jewish studies. Right? Do, should every field integrate, or is it a mistake to integrate all the fields? Like maybe halacha has its own logic and rule book, and to bring in Kabbalah or for the sake of our philosophy to influence that, maybe that's a mistake as the marshal would have it. Or maybe no, nothing doing. We're going to lead this integrated Jewish life. And in the integrated Jewish life, everything flows into each other. And maybe even capitalistic ideas could influence halachic practice. Okay, leave. Like, uh, oh, it seems to, like, this, the Zohar says it, so we're not, we're going to go against it. It's kind of like... It's, You're talking about the I don't say well, why is it a cop out? It, maybe it's I'm relying on all the resources I've got to try to arrive at a conclusion. It's only a cop out if I posit that the Zohar shouldn't be relevant, right? Is that fair? Who else had a comment? Yeah, no? Um, I don't think the Marshall here is saying we should separate the Zohar from all the Lachlan. He's just, he's just saying, rather, he's like integrating it. He's like, we shouldn't put the Zohar up on a pedestal. Just like Rashbi sometimes gets rejected in the actual Gemara. Okay, interesting. Uh, interesting. But it's, it's interesting. But it, I think maybe we're not really disagreeing. I still think he's kind of reading the Zohar into kind of the halachic rubric. Is, is that a fair way to say it? Okay. Simcha, what's bother you? Guys, my favorite part of Shia when Simcha gets upset. It always means like a good question is coming. Okay, in fact, if he looks happy, then it's not a good Shia. Okay. okay. Ah, okay, so maybe I wasn't so clear about it, guys. I want to argue that Musaf and Mitzvot kind of clearly lead you somewhere, but Ismulacha is more of a question. Because even if I say Ismulacha, guys, give me two possible arguments. Even if I say Ismulacha is the oath, give me two possible arguments why Chol HaMoyed would not qualify. Even if I say Ismulacha is the oath, Josh Shapiro. Maybe it's only an Issa Durabanan. Okay, so I, I didn't, you know, simply I ran a little bit out of time. If you want to see someone who argues vociferously that it's Durabanan, Look at Tosos 8. Tosos 8. Look at Tosos 8. Okay? Look, well, the, 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 okay, aren't we forced sometimes to say that even though they're a drush out, it's an asmachta? Sometimes we're forced by other factors. It's not unheard of in Shas, right? I mean, 
Okay, so you know what? It's a great question. I feel like I can't deal with it at 1258. Okay, so I'll, some sure claim is here when I'm not wasting time about the four distractions. We'll sneak in a smartless. Okay? Yeah. Yeah. Right. Okay. That's 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 a fair point. What if you're right? Maybe Tosus knew what they should do, and Rashba knew what he should do. But let's say I'm a leader person, and I'm confronted by Tosus and the Rashba, whatever the case may be. Right. So I might be in a matzav of Safek. But you're right. It's a good point that Machlokan is not necessarily a Safek for the people involved. Okay, Nadav. Let's come to the review. Okay, so you're asking a very interesting question. I just can't do it right now. When do leniencies reflect something deeper about the Chag? When do they not? That's basically what you're saying, right? Okay, great question, but not for 12 times. Sorry, Josh. Thanks. Let me just do a one-minute review, guys. You guys are excellent today, as usual. Okay, here we go. Okay, number one. Okay, why do we not take up Tulan on Shabbos and Yom Because they're in oats. Okay, we have the Nita Asher question. Why should the oath of Shabbos not defeat the oath of, of uh, Tulan? Okay, what were the two answers we saw? Why does Shabbos beat Tefillin? Is because it's oat and brit, or because? Go with the punishments. Great. Now that it beats it, we want to know, does Cholamoid have oat quality? What four theories do we have within the halakhic rubric that makes Yom Tov an oat? Isra Malacha, or carbon Musaf, or, or the Mitzvah Yom, or, or Zeruah, or the status of... The Sambagyon River, a pretty wacky shita. Okay, those are the four shitot. But again, the most, the real debate in terms of simple principle would be Isra Malacha. If it's Isra Malacha, does Cholmite qualify or not? Maybe it doesn't qualify because it's the Rabbanan. By the way, even if it's the Raita, you could say it doesn't qualify. Why might it not qualify even if it's the Raita? Because it has all these Eterim. Maybe there's so many Eterim, guess what? After a certain point, you have so many Eterim, you don't really have much of Isra Malacha. So you could argue that Cholmite fails the Isra Malacha test. Then we saw that things got interesting when the Zohar was adamantly against Tefillin and Cholomoyed. And it's not an accident that Sephardim and Hasidim don't put it on, because they are more influenced by the Zohar. The Radvah says, if already we're stuck, okay, let the Zohar win. Why shouldn't the Zohar be the decisive force when we're stuck? Again, that's why Sephardim did not put on Tefillin. Where the Marshal was much, more, much less enthusiastic about bringing Kabbalistic reasoning in to Psak. All right, guys, if you have questions, you can come over to me. Have a great Shabbos. Guys, if all these Zalman people come over, we'll do a a Zalman selfie. Uh, Sorry. I didn't even hear you.